This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hello and welcome to The Great Indoors. The podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Kate Watson-Smythe. And I'm Sophie Robinson. And we are back with a brand new shiny sponsor, no less. We are so excited to welcome Harlequin to The Great Indoors. Shiny? or colourful. Either way, their designs are bold and beautiful and they're all about encouraging people to be the same in their decor choices. Yeah, really interestingly, they did some research which found that women are more confident when it comes to fashion choices, but rather more hesitant when it comes to interiors. So they have made it their mission to encourage everyone to be both colour and design confident in their homes, whatever your individual style. And this is a message that I am here for. Oh, yes. Weren't you talking about getting some neutral curtains for your sitting room? Yeah, that was last series. It was full lockdown and I was slightly losing my mind. But now the sun is out, the restrictions are lifting and I am feeling the colour. And if you're feeling it too, you can find out more at Harlequin. Sandersondesigngroup.com. Now, moving on, what have we got on the show today? Well, today we're talking smelly candles. Sorry, scented candles. Though, frankly, sometimes it's more like stinky candles, if you ask me. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, are they a vital weapon in the interior design arsenal or not? We're also leafing through some really excellent new books, and in the style surgery, it's that often asked question, painting, UPVC, windows, conservatories, doors, and so on. So let's kick off with these books. We've got three beautiful design books to discuss. Lisa Dawson is a really well-known British influencer and blogger and has sort of gathered a real strong following of fans who've really enjoyed seeing her kind of revamp her own home and do it with such a resourceful way. I mean, she's always down the thrift store. She's always grabbing stuff off eBay. And she's sort of created a really lovely homely look of mixed match bits and bobs that all hang together. And I suppose this is her book, isn't it, about how she does it. Creative repurposing, finding those perfect vintage pieces and blending it all in a way that looks super stylish. She gives good anecdote as well, Lisa. That's what I like. I mean, you know, what starts as a tale about painting a banister will end up with a story about how her husband ended up in A&E in Skegness during a night out. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, her blog readers will recognise she's, she's always got an anecdote. And it's very kind of easy and familiar. You know, some of these interiors books that come out, they're a bit sort of scary and reverential and you feel like you can't achieve it. And Lisa talks very sort of honestly, for reasons she, in her first home she bought, for reasons she cannot fathom, she painted the walls lime green and then matched the duvet set to it. And it was all reflective. And she's still got a picture of her daughter looking like, as she puts it, child of Shrek lying on the bed. And I, you know, I like that sort of sense that 
it's very accessible. And she says when she lived in that house, she lived near the pine shop warehouse. So she just bought everything in the pine shop warehouse. But then I think what began the sort of start of the resourcefulness is she realised when her taste changed and she moved house that she wasn't just going to chuck it all out. So she's talked about moving it to different rooms and changing it slightly or painting it. And she has a chapter where she talks about multitasking furniture. And some of the fashion people will say, you know, if you're going to buy a new top, you need to think of three ways or three outfits you can put together with that new top to justify buying it. And Lisa has a similar thing with a piece of furniture, you know, think about, well, I want it in this room for now, but could it be useful in a different room or how might I use it? And I think that's quite a good way to approach it because what she says is, you know, we are under so much pressure to incorporate shiny new ideas with identical social feeds that we, we can lose sight of what we actually want. So take a bit of time, think about how you might keep a piece of furniture for what she calls the long game. Yeah, there's a piece um, which I particularly like from her chapter called Go Your Own Way. And she says, basically, her biggest piece of advice is to go with your heart, do as you wish, ignore trends and friends, and don't ever ask your partner what they think about interior decorating plans if you think they might attempt to put you off. My husband is a motor industry brand director. I don't tell him how to write a balance sheet, submit a forecast or examine under the chassis. Totally made up word. I barely know what my own car is. Therefore, the idea of him having any input into the front room decor is quite frankly laughable. Partners know your limits. (laughs) well, that's one way to treat the other half. But this is the kind of straight talking you're going to get from Lisa. It is. It's a book that's actually full of information. It's not just a book of pictures. And that's probably why I like it. You know, it's got lots of checklists. There's one really useful one, a trends checklist. So, you know, think about those questions before you buy. Don't kind of rush into, oh, everyone on Instagram's got it. You know, stop and think about your core style, invest in something small, play the long game, especially with tiles. You know, all those fancy shaped tiles that are around at the moment, you worry, will you still like those in five years? And, you know, she also does mood boards and checklists for each room. So, you know, I think you can dip in and sort of learn something or you can read her anecdotes of which there are plenty all the way through. And the book is literally hot off the press. It launches today. So next up, this is another very popular book. There's no doubt that Beata Hoyman is the darling of the interior design world at the moment and everyone will be desperate to get their hands on her secrets of colour and style. And her book, she actually very generously shares a lot of them in her book, Every Room Should Sing. What did you think of this one, Sophie? Oh, well, obviously I loved it. I'm a massive fan of Beata's because she's an interior designer working at the top of her game. She worked for Nikki Haslam for 10 years. She's had her own design studio for seven, of which a lot of the projects are inside this book. But I think what's so fascinating about her as a designer and why she's getting so much press and attention at the moment is because as someone who's quite a high-end interior designer, she's really playful. Her schemes are quirky and whimsical. They're colour-filled. And she talks about this in her book as well, which I find fascinating, her philosophy of trying to get back to a kind of childishness when one is being creative. And I think it's just so refreshing from some of the interior designers whose work can just maybe take itself a bit too seriously and feel a bit stiff and stuffy. 
her work feels really fresh. And so I couldn't wait to get my mitts on this. I'm not going to lie. I think it's an absolute joy. And she's very, very eloquent at explaining where she gets her inspiration, what her design philosophy is. And it's very, very heartfelt. I love it. Yeah, she talks, doesn't she, very much about start with nostalgia, you know, reconnect with your child and what home meant for you and bringing some of that in. But again, you're right about the humour. She painted a mural on, I think she's got two daughters, she painted a mural on their bedroom wall and she says it's got rabbits drinking martini and smoking cigars. So it's funny, it perhaps won't please the, what is it, the style police, but um, I like the idea of that. You know, it's got humour and it will last until they're a bit older. So that's one of her key tips. And I love this quote. I'm going to read you this. Show homes are a monstrosity in flame retardant graphite upholstery and nasty dark wood veneers with glaring spotlights, each room more depressing than the next. And that gives you a sense of where she's going with the colour. And she talks also about, you know, we buy furniture, it's all straight because it's easy to mass produce it in a factory when it's all straight lines. And she very much likes a curve and loses a lot of bespoke colours and has things made. So she talks about a house being a living thing. It should transport you somewhere back to your childhood or to somewhere sort of fun. It's great. I think that's the title of the book as well, which I think is really interesting every room should sing and it's this feeling she says of of when you walk into the room of feeling like you're transported that your emotions are heightened in a positive way they're either joyful or you know a sense of happiness and so she talks about every room while yes her rooms are beautiful and beautifully put together and they work and they're very clever but she always talks about having something that kind of kicks the room off a bit something that's a bit weird or a bit fantastical she's like not too much that it becomes in your face but just enough that it brings you into the present, you know? You kind of rather just walking into a room going, oh, yeah, this is nice. Walking into a room going, what's going on here? This is something intriguing happening. And she does that with the artwork that she chooses, the way she styles, and also her colour palettes are always quite not what someone expects. What I like is she gives you the tips about, you know, nostalgia. She talks about, as you've you've alluded to there, tension and contrast, rich and plain, light and dark, Ikea and bespoke. But she also which interior designers never talk about. She talks about the upkeep and it's not just about storage, but she's talking about look after it, you know, clean it, keep it well stocked, keep it polished. And also says there's nothing wrong with a bit of mess. It it adds character, a bit of wear and tear and shows that someone lives there. So although she's a very high-end interior designer, She's also quite real. I mean, you do feel that if you were as bold as she was, you could reproduce that. It's not about perfection, is it? Yeah, which is, again, quite refreshing within her industry, isn't it? It's it's quite approachable. Yeah, but she talks quite soulfully as well about the connection to your home and, and talks about things like, you know, if something breaks, fix it. Even the process of mending something, or even decorating your own home or repurposing a piece of furniture gives you a connection to home, a stronger emotional connection because you've interacted with that piece of furniture or that wall or whatever. I think we should end with one of my favourite quotes. She sprinkled some quotes throughout the book and one is she talks about buying vintage or antique, you know, mixing it up again, old and new, the, the contrast and the tension. And she quotes Patsy from Absolutely Fabulous. Remember Pats? <laughs> and Patsy Stone. Patsy Stone says, one should never be the oldest thing in one's house. <laughs> I love that. 
that. There's a philosophy for you. Okay, so the last book we're going to review for you is a real little treasure that I think would be in danger of going under the radar otherwise. So I'm really happy to bring this to everyone's attention. It's called The New Mindful Home and How to Make It Yours by Joanna Thornhill. And do you know what? I had all kinds of preconceived ideas about this book when I picked it up. That's because the cover's quite beige. Very beige. And I was like, oh, here we go again. It's all going to be about mindfulness and well-being. And it's going to be full of pictures of brown interiors inside. I'm not going to like it. (laughs) (laughs) But actually, there are lots of pictures of brown interiors inside. I'm not going to lie. But Actually, this is a book I'd say that's less about the pictures and more about the words. And you know me, Kate, I usually love the pictures, not so fussed about the words. But this book, I mean, Joanna's writing is excellent and she's extremely knowledgeable. There's loads of backup. There's loads of science. It's well-researched. She writes very clearly. And this is the sort of thing I'd have by the bedside and I could read a couple of pages every night. It's that kind of book that you can dip in and out of. And I admit, actually, I haven't wanted to put it down since I've had it. What I thought was interesting is it's the topic of the mindful home, I mean, it's it's a word that I might perhaps find quite off-putting, but we have all, I think, over the last year, definitely begun to realise the connection between our mental health and well-being and our surroundings. Because we've been at home for a whole year and I think we've started without necessarily putting it into words, but a lot of us have begun to understand that actually I feel really stressed if the house is messy or this colour on the wall is not working for me. So I think we've subconsciously started to put that together. And Jo's book comes out just at the right time where she sort of explains why you might be feeling the way you are in your home and what you can do to improve it. So it's completely timely. And she talks about, you know, the effects of colour on you, which obviously, Sophie, is your sort of mastermind subject, and supportive room layouts. And she addresses your issue there. There's a common perception that living mindfully must mean it's all sort of beige, minimal interiors and no stuff. But it's actually about warmth and things being in the space for what they bring. So it's about your feelings. And she suggests various personality tests you can do. And I think one of them is called Ocean, which you can Google, but it's about whether you're outgoing, you're confident, you're extrovert, you know, how you would decorate to bring what you need. And I thought that was really interesting. So you don't have to panic that it's all going to be beige. There was something about open plan living and how actually it can... For some people, again, depending on your personality type, it can heighten the sense of flight and fight because you you might be sitting watching the sofa, but you've got your whole kitchen and everything behind you and you don't really know what people are doing, what's going on. You know, you're supposed to be relaxing, but there's all this activity behind you. And I thought, gosh, that's so interesting because actually that's probably is where I'd be. I'd much rather be in a little nook of a TV den than in an open plan space. But my husband's all about the open plan, doesn't want any partitions, doesn't want anything breaking up, the bigger the better. And we were really different like that. And it was just really interesting that I thought, okay, that's just the difference in who we are as personalities. 
So really thinking about things in a much more deeper and emotional level. She liked also almost referring to Lisa's thing from the first book, but she calls it the anxiety economy, you know, where you're being pushed to buy things all the time. And she's saying, you know, you don't have to do that. Stop and think about whether it's right for you. She talks about soft shapes and silhouettes. And and there's one thing I remember, we talked about this a few months ago. She's saying, you know, use tips and tricks to create order in your house and therefore in your mind. And she says to create good habits. So tidying the kitchen before bed. And I know you talked about doing that. Oh, yes, I'm still doing that. I am. <laughs> that's one of my little lockdown things. And actually, yeah, having rituals is something that's been new for me in lockdown. So getting up early, having my bit of quiet time before I start work or turn my phone on, having my morning coffee in a peaceful, tranquil setting, doing my dishes before I go to bed, all of that stuff has made a massive difference. And it's just so easy to implement. It's genius. And I think that's what's lovely about this book is everything feels very simple and easy to implement and it's all backed up with good research. Well, this is it. And some of the things, you know, she talks a lot about biophilia, which is familiar. We've talked about a lot, the importance of plants on the blog. And she talks about bringing the outside in, again, more plants and watch the toxins, which is something else that's kind of gaining ground, you know, clean cleaning materials. And do a declutter and an audit of your home to work out what you really need and what is just stuff. I just think it's interesting to bring it all together in one place. I think you would absolutely benefit from reading it, even if you think you know all about your home. Yeah. Well, like I said, it surprised me. I thought it was going to be a bit airy-fairy, a bit waffy woo wah <laughs> Technical term. We are this week, we will mostly be reviewing the Waffy Woo Wah end of the design book. And look, this is from somebody who loves a bit of Waffy Woo Wah. I was going to say, is there anybody more Waffy Woo Wah than you? Isn't that my line? No, so it ticks both of our boxes. It's got all the factoids in it for you to keep you happy, all your research. And it's got all the little bit of incense burning going on for me. So there we go. Happy days. <laughs> Anyhow, any hoo-woo-woo, books like these are, of course, a brilliant source of design inspiration. And I was interested to see listeners on our Facebook group, The Great Indoors Podcast, swapping tips for other sources. So Sharon Dark suggests our Facebook group, of course, but also adds Pinterest, Instagram, Reclaim Magazine, Homestyle Mag, Your Home Magazine and Style at Home are my go-to places. I have subscriptions for them. They're the cheaper magazines and I can find the products they showcase more realistically in my budget as the others can be a bit high-end. And that's a really good tip. We're back to Beata again there. Balance high-end inspo with perhaps some more realistic and practical shopping guidance. So this next topic really spun out from a press release that I got sent recently from Dowsing and Reynolds, who were just highlighting the fact that sales for scented candles has gone through the roof during lockdown. And they had some key findings on the UK's favourite scents. So <laughs> buckle up, Kate Watson-Smythe. Oh, God. Uh, Lavender candles take the top slot. Yeah, fair enough. Average search on Pinterest, 3,600. Vanilla comes second. And then the gingerbread candle. Oh, my God. Third place. <laughs> 
And then uh, sales for chocolate orange candle (laughs) up 425%. Matcha candle sales up 300%. And the South East's favourite candle is sea salt, paying homage to the seaside surrounding. So which one of those? Are you you chocolate orange or are you gingerbread? I can't. I can't even. I'm just going to have to turn my microphone off and go and have a lie down. I mean, I just can't. I, I, I... I actually can't speak. I'm going to have to take a moment. I'm going to have to do a Kate Winslet. Gather. <laughs> Gather. Okay. Where to start? I'm going to start with this food thing. You know, I've got nothing against a lavender candle. That's a very nice smell. And I will say, we can get onto this later, that I've come round, actually, over the last year to the yes, scented well, I, candle. Oh, I'm glad you've fessed up right the front because I was all ready to slam dunk you for that because you've always been so rude about scented candles. Well, uh, you know, there's a lot of bad ones about, let's be honest. (laughs) But I bow to no one in my fury about food scented candles. I mean, that gingerbread candle, third place, 1,900 average monthly searches for a gingerbread candle. Someone gave me Someone gave me, and I don't think we are friends anymore, a gingerbread and pumpkin candle. <laughs> and it had a lid on it, and I put it in a cupboard in a downstairs loo, and it just, it, it, I couldn't, it, the smell wasn't contained in there. It escaped. Why do you want to constantly smell of food? This brings me back to, as a child, when the body shop and everybody wanted strawberry lip salve. Why? You just chew your own lips off. Why do you want to constantly be surrounded by the smell of chocolate orange? Just makes you eat all the time. And I can't bear candles that smell of food, apart from a nice fig. Ah, oh, but not not a Sicilian orange? No. What about a pomegranate? What does a pomegranate even smell like? I mean... (laughs) I know, what does a pomegranate smell of? They're always in the posh scented candles. This puts me in mind of, actually, I think Loaf did a load of candles, didn't they, in lockdown? I think they still have them, the sofa company. And they, they have, I think, the three that spring to mind. They had Granny's Garden, Laundry Days and Country Boozer. What? As a smell. As a smell. And they sent me country boozer and I didn't know whether to smell it or be offended. So it sat on the side <laughs> for a while. I was like, why can't I have laundry days? The f- I mean, the smell of laundry is nice, but you know what? Do your washing. Just do the laundry. Fills the house. <laughs> However, there is one serious point I will make about this before we go back to ranting about candles. There's a company called Sense, as in S-C-E-N-T-S, Sense of Normality. And they did, during lockdown, a limited edition run of candles, which smelt like all the places we couldn't go. So they did have one that smelt like your local or the cinema or a festival. And they have raised £12,000 for the hospitality industries that couldn't open during lockdown. So there is a good thing. Oh, that was a good thing that came out of candles. Well, I think you've you just really hit on something, though. I mean, whether you're chocolate orange or you're more of a fig and persimmon or whatever, I think essentially one of the reasons why they've been so popular is they sense do transport us, don't they? And we have been, as we keep saying, stuck indoors for like a year. And I know for one, I've really actually one of the things I did is like you, I've been gifted some lovely scented candles over the year and I've hoarded them in a cupboard. Do some of these scented candles are like 25 quid plus? Do you know what I mean? So I'm like, oh, I'm not burning that willy nilly, you know, special occasion, special occasion. <laughs> 
And I've thought, okay, there is no special occasions coming up. And I've burnt all my stash of scented candles over the last year. And I've really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed making different rooms. Just, you know, feel, feel a bit different. Back years ago, the house, we used to use the house as a location shoot. And some people came to do a shoot here and they bought some products and they left behind a Byredo. That's very swish and fancy, isn't it? Byredo, black scented candle. And it's in a very beautiful black, what do you call it? Vase, holder, pot. A votive. A votive. Oh, right. Well, it's in a black one of them. Um, and it looks lovely. And we've never burnt it because I knew that Byredo is very expensive. So like you, I thought, well, I won't actually use it. I'll just stare at it. Um, and it'll look nice in my bathroom. And then I thought I would burn it over the last few months. So I brought it down into my office and it's called Apocalyptic. Well, I mean, who calls a candle apocalyptic in a lockdown? <laughs> oh, my God. I mean... <laughs> Shall I tell you what's apocalyptic about it? Yeah, go on. It doesn't smell of anything. I get nothing. Oh, maybe you left it too long. Um, Well, the argument is, obviously, the more expensive, the better quality. If you've got a better quality wax, like a soy wax is better. It's got less soot in it than the paraffin waxes. They last longer. They're, you know, obviously vegan option as well. But also it's the quality of the essential oils that go in as well. If they're not synthetic and manufactured... Apparently, if they're real, genuine essential oils, they have a better effect on our well-being because they are actually connecting us to the natural sense that they're derived from. And beeswax as well is another nice one to look out for. It's got a nice smell in itself. It has minimum smoke. It lasts a long time. So, you know, I'm assuming that these £300 plus candles have the best wax and the best essential oils. But I don't think you need to spend that much money. Just avoid the really cheap ones because the scents are probably either quite weak or, as I said, they're synthetic and you're not going to quite get the well-being kickback from them. It's also about the, the votive, the votive, the container, isn't it? I mean, I've got a very beautiful Fornacetti one, which I think is one of only three scented candles I've burnt right down to the end. And it was a fig smell, but it's the most beautiful china pot with a lid, which, you know, makes a nice pen pot or a makeup brush pot or even put new candles in it. You can keep them afterwards. Matthew Williamson's done some lovely scented candles and for the same reason, you ended up with a lovely little makeup pot or pen pot afterwards. And that's, I suppose, especially nice for gifting because these are things traditionally that I think have been things that we've given as gifts. But, you know, the other thing is, as you were saying earlier, it is totally about transporting you back, isn't it? I, you know what my favourite candle would actually be? It would be mothballs because that takes me back to my granny's house where I grew up and I I loved my granny and I loved her house and it smelt of mothballs and for me, that's a very great smell. I mean, I think they're now illegal, they're carcinogenic and no one's allowed to sniff them anymore but, you know, if I could, I would. <laughs> <laughs> Well, obviously, no conversation around candles, I don't feel, could be complete without the famous Gwyneth Paltrow goop candle entitled Smells Like My Vagina. I mean. Do you remember that one, Kate? I I mean. (laughs) Apparently, it was when she was in the the lab with her perfumier or whatever, coming up with um, scents for candles. She smelt one of the samples and just exclaimed, oh my vagina and then they thought oh there's a label for that now then and that's how it came about I came into this topic speechless and I'm now leaving it speechless <laughs> just sums up your feelings around candles to a tea. it really does yeah 
But while that's a bit of an old story, I do love the fact that there's this company in America called Malicious Women Company, which makes scented candles. And honestly, it's worth just going on their website to look at some of the titles of the candles, like Smells Like Freshly Signed Divorce Papers, being uh, the name of one of the candles. And then there was another one I saw very timely called If You Can't Smell This Candle, Get Away From Me, subtext infused with in-home COVID testing. (laughs) Yeah, brilliant. (laughs) Moving swiftly on, it's time to turn our attention to the style surgery. Hi, Kate and Sophie. It's Lucy here. I'm calling from Stafford and I live in a 70s build. Um, When we moved in here, we had a very dated conservatory on the back of the house, which we have knocked down and replaced with a modern conservatory with a proper roof and skylights. We have a wall on the right hand side, which we've fully bricked up. So it's no longer windows. And then to the left hand side, it's a wall of windows. Now we were tempted to brick this up but we actually decided as our the room in the middle of the house is quite dark we wanted to bring as much light in as we could and keep that view of the garden and it's just a little bit of an eyesore all that white UPVC and it looks a lot more like a conservatory than I had hoped as we do use this as our lounge and living area So our thoughts are maybe to add a couple of Roman blinds. We thought about painting the UPVC grey. It is actually grey on the outside and we regretted not going grey on the inside. I think that might have looked a little bit more characterful. So any help or advice you could give would be much appreciated. I think it's really interesting that Lucy's already bought on her conservatory and made it more of a room by changing the roof. I think this is something that's a really clever idea. If you've got a conservatory, you've probably quickly discovered that it's too hot in the summer, too cold in the winter. You know, there's lots of companies who do these kind of roof replacements, like a hard roof replacement for conservatories. You can incorporate a roof light in there. You can also get some spotlights in there and it feels a bit more like a room. It's more thermally efficient. It's easier to heat and regulate. I mean, you do have to go through building control and meet certain regulations to do it because not all conservatories were built to structurally hold a solid roof. But once you've done that, you have created a room that's a lot more usable. I think it's quite interesting though, Lucy, that you're still trying to like unconservatory your conservatory. (laughs) You've already blocked up one wall. And I tell you what, if you block up the other wall, it is no longer a conservatory. It's an extension on the back of your house. So I would urge you to stop with the wall blocking and embrace the fact that you've got this lovely, lovely wall of windows, which allows it to be really sunny in the day. What you're asking is a way to convert it to feel more snug and private in the evening. And that is all about the blinds, isn't it, Kate? Yes, you've basically managed to create an extra room and you don't say, you know, how close your neighbours are or where you live, but certainly a wall of windows can feel a bit like being in a goldfish bowl at night, particularly when it's dark. So I think Roman blinds are kind of nice, aren't they? And you can have them in velvet or you can have what they call a London blind, which I've just had in my office, which is a bit more draped. It's a bit softer than the sort of straight lines of a Roman blind. And you can really have fun there with the fabric. So you can go with, for want of a better word, the conservatory theme and have something sort of green and floral. Or you can bring it back into the house and have something that fits in more with your main decor. You've got you've kind of got the freedom to go either way in that space. Yeah, and be be really creative with it. And I think embrace, like Kate says, embrace the fact that it's connected to the outdoors, but it is essentially an indoor room that you're creating. 
and so treat it as you would any other room in your house. You know, absolutely paint the windows so that they don't look like shiny white plastic. You know, blend them in with a with a, even if it's matched in with the wall colour, that would be a great way to blend away all those bars if you paint your windows in with the same as a wall colour. Really easy to do. You just want to make sure that you use the right primer for UPVC and then you can paint to your heart's content. You can paint them any colour you like. It's absolutely genius. And then make the whole room not just work within itself, but obviously it's probably open to other parts of the house too. So make sure you've got that connection from the main house and your conservatory and you'll you'll just get the whole thing to hang together harmoniously. In our house, we've got a UPVC conservatory too. We've got the whole, the whole wraparound plastic number. But at the moment, we're tackling the windows. But it's essentially the same theory and the same problem that um, Lucy's got. Essentially, I think one of the main problems, there are lots of positives with UPVC windows. Obviously, the reason people buy them is because they're a cheaper investment and they take less maintenance. That's the big headline, isn't it? Than wooden windows, which need painting and filling over many, many years. The idea with UPVC is you can kind of put them in and forget about them for 25 years. My problem is that they look white and shiny. And especially if you've got a period property like we have, it just doesn't look right. It really jars with the old bits of the architecture in our house. So for a long while, I've been scratching my head of what to do to get rid of the shiny white plastic. And essentially, we're painting them. And it seems to be a bit of a bit of a hidden secret, but it's completely possible and feasible to do. Essentially... You just give them a really super light sand down, maybe with like a sanding block to get a bit of a key. But I mean, it's more of a tickle, if I'm honest. Make sure the windows are really super clean. And then it's all about having the right primer, because obviously not all paints are going to stick to a plastic very well. But if you use an all surface primer, we're using a little green product because that's what we're using for the top coat as well. Or you can use a product like Zinza is extremely good for plastic windows. Then you can use whatever colour, any colour. I mean, this is what's so brilliant. I mean, I've chosen lamp black for my windows, but you could have any colour you want, an off-white, you could paint them pink, you could paint them purple, whatever your heart's desire. You just get the paint mix to the colour you want and put that on top. Well, because I don't know anything about actually painting the plastic windows, but colour-wise, I don't think you do have to have the same inside and out, but... A dark colour will, from the inside, will frame the view better and will draw your eye out and also make, as you say, make it less shiny. Yeah, I think it's all about getting rid of the plastic look of the windows. And interestingly, there are companies who will spray paint your windows and they promise a really lovely, seamless, glossy look. But actually, for me, that's what I'm trying to get away from. I want the brush strokes. That's intentional because when you start having brush strokes across your plastic windows, they're more likely to look softer and more like wood rather than this sort of manufactured perfection, which I personally don't like. So you don't need to have a company come in and spray them. You can just have them painted by either yourself. We get your decorator to do them. I mean, they will probably fade and maybe chip and peel a bit over time, but so would your wooden windows. And when I talked to my husband about this, he said, actually, the plastic windows are more of a stable substrate in the first place. You know, wood expands, water gets inside it over time, it cracks, whereas your UPVC window is more stable. So while you might need to paint them in the future, which you wouldn't have to do in their raw state, you're not going to still not going to have to do it as often as you would a wooden window. And I think it, it lasts a reasonably long time. I, I know who's done, she's written about it on her blog, is Katie from Apartment Apothecary. And she had a UPVC front door. 
and she painted the inside of it, I think in Rustoleum. And she's got a toddler and a dog and she did it two or three years ago and she mentioned the other day that it's stood up to it really well and that, you know, front door gets quite a lot of sort of banging and brushing against and that kind of thing, arguably much more than a window. So it's taken it really well, but you can look up her blog, Apartment Apothecary, for a sort of step-by-step how to do it. Yes, and I'll be putting it on my blog too, as and when the windows get finished. But the transformation is unbelievable. I mean, we haven't even finished decorating the outside of our house yet. But already it's just been astonishing how it's elevated the whole look of the exterior. And I've purposely gone for a dark colour because I wanted to blend the windows away. You know, I felt that because they weren't particularly beautiful windows, painting them a dark colour would blend them away into the background of the house. We've got terracotta tiles and then we're going to paint the render dark as well. So the windows don't really pop out. But actually, already they look... I, I don't think that would have been such an issue. They actually look really, really lovely painted. So it's a complete win-win and so much cheaper than ripping out and replacing them for wood, which is what I would have done knee-jerk. It was actually my husband who was like, I mean, he absolutely was like, there's no way you're taking out those windows and replacing them for wood. Wood is such a pain to maintain. They're expensive. You have to redecorate them every three years. And also from an environmental point of view, there is nothing wrong with those plastic windows. They're functioning. They're working perfectly well. They're double glazed. You're just wanting to replace them for an aesthetic reason. And environmentally, that's not a good enough reason. So I was told by painting them, we've won the aesthetic argument too. So happy days all round. And you could, I mean, you can go a bit seasonal with it because from the sounds of things, you've got a sort of hybrid of sort of part conservatory, but part brick wall. So you could, depending on storage space in the house, you know, in winter, you could have cosy wall rugs and make it cosy underfoot and more like a sort of winter day room, sitting room. And then in the summer, you could maybe have jute rugs and, you know, bit sort of lighter cushions. So you can make it quite a kind of seasonal room, if you like with some of the sort of accessories and soft furnishings that you put in there. Light a scented candle and, you know, transport yourself to... And on that note, <laughs> do keep sending your style surgery questions in. All you need to do is record a little message on your phone and email it to us at thegreatindoorspod at gmail.com. And while you've got your phone out, you might as well pop onto your podcast app and leave us a glowing review. The blogs will have more detail on everything we've discussed, so do check them out. I'm madaboutthehouse.com and she's sophierobinson.co.uk. But for now, thanks to our producer, Kate Taylor of Feast Collective, and the biggest thanks to you for listening. And we'll see you in the great indoors. <laughs> Going to the end of this smelly candle to hell that I'm in. What does salt smell like? That is not a smell. What about any floral scents? Do you like any floral smells? Ooh. Jasmine, peony. What does a peony smell like? You're not a floral Dora, are you at all? I'm not floral Dora. <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs>